Isaiah 54, and uh, verse number 1, we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 5 to begin with. And today lays some groundwork. This is a two-part sermon. I rarely do this. We're going to look at this passage again next week, but today's sermon and next week's sermon is preparatory. We're getting ready for the missions conference coming up. Just want to Relaying a little groundwork for that. And I want to give you a few thoughts. I've already communicated to Brother Cadenhead. We've been praying about this for some time. So hopefully, there is a lot in this passage. This is a wonderful chapter. We're just going to dig out a few nuggets, I think, that are going to help us as we think about missions. So the title of the two lessons is The God of the Whole Earth. All right, this is part one of that. But specifically today, we're going to look at this topic, Using the Unusable. Using the unusable, right away you're going to see where I get that. Verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Verse 5, 4, Thy Maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall He be called. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's take a moment to talk to our Father. Lord, we come to You in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and we thank You for the privilege of being in church today. Thank you, Lord, the wonderful singing that has stirred our hearts. Lord, as we turn our attention to the Scripture now, specifically to this topic, which I believe is close to your heart, this idea of reaching the world, of of going to the uttermost part. Lord, speak to us now. Fill me with your Spirit and give all of us ears to hear. God, I pray you bring this Scripture to life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me help you just as we get going here. I want you to understand the prophetical side of what you've just read here. All right? We're not going to spend long on it. I just want to make sure that you do understand. When you read about this, you're reading about the nation of Israel. Specifically, the nation of Israel being restored into God's good favor. You understand that right now, and this happened many years ago, uh, several centuries ago, God set the nation of Israel aside. You know, in the Old Testament, he was the focus. He, he, he's, he directly dealt with them and to them, sent prophets to them. But as they continually rejected the prophets, God eventually sent his son. When they rejected his son, God said, okay, now I, I've, I've got to put my foot down here. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament, he has set them aside. He, he has turned away from them temporarily. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, said, it says, blindness in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. It is a temporary blindness. Why has God decided to temporarily turn His back 
on the nation of Israel. That is, by the way, verse 4, when you read about them being confounded and ashamed, they are right now in that stage. No prophets are being sent to them. No one's standing up going to them saying, thus saith the Lord, here's something new, new information for you. They don't have that. They used to, but not now, and it's shameful. Why? They killed their husband. Watch this. Look at the end of verse 4. What do they have? They have the reproach of widowhood. How do you become a widow? Your husband dies. This is deep truth right here. Who's their husband? Verse 5, thy maker is thine husband. Can you think of any time in history when the Holy One of Israel died? That's a strange thought. How can God die unless God was manifest in the flesh? Unless the, the Word who was with God, who is God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was in the world. The world was made by Him. The world received Him not. He went into His own. His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. God sent His Son. This is God in human form. The Jews said, away with Him. Crucify Him. And when they rejected the Holy One of Israel, their Redeemer, God said, okay. I, he handed them a bill of divorcement. You read about this in the book of Hosea. But, but the wonderful thing about it is after He said, we have to break up for a while. <laughs> you cheated on me. You went after false gods. You rejected my son. But in Hosea chapter 2, Jehovah says, I will betroth you unto myself. I, he's going to get remarried. He's going to exchange vows once again. That's what makes up a marriage is the covenant you have with your spouse. It is the exchanging of vows. God did this in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. He made a covenant with the nation of Israel. We call it the old covenant. But in Jeremiah 31, God said, one day I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel. And then shall everyone know me. You won't have to teach your brother saying, know the Lord. The whole world will then know him. This brings us to verse number 6. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee. But with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. After this punishment is over and God remarries them, establishes them, gathers them back into their land. They are back into that loving relationship that God desires to have with each one of us. Once that is reestablished, God said, just like that thing with Noah, I'll never do that to you again. Because once you get made right with God, you're in that new covenant, you're not getting out. It will last. In verse 10, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. Prophetically, God is telling Israel, guys, I know it's rough right now. I've turned my face, I've turned my back, but it's temporary. This isn't going to last forever. One day, you're going to be regathered and you're going to 
have a reason to sing. Break forth into singing. Your shame, your reproach, widowhood, the grief of your past, that will be put away and all you will see is the joy of the Lord. He's giving Israel something wonderful to look forward to. That's the prophecy of it. Now, today we're going to look at a couple of other things. We're not going to dig so much into the future aspect. I want to dig into something a little more historical and a lot more practical. I think there are some practical nuggets buried in the passage just waiting for us to excavate them. It's going to take a couple of weeks to dig them out. But I think that they will help us to see clearly God's desire. Watch this now. Is he talking to Israel? Sure. He's talking to Israel. But look at the end of verse 5. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. The God of the whole earth. Even though God does have a special arrangement with his people Israel, God has never lost sight of the fact that he wants to reach every single person on the earth. And yes, God has made promises and prophecies given to Israel, but even when God reached out to Abraham and said, I'm going to use you and bless you and multiply you, to what end? So that through you, all the families of the earth can be blessed. God has always had it in His mind to be the God of the whole earth, no matter where you're from, no matter when you've lived. That's our theme for for this week, next week, the God of the whole earth shall He be called. He's interested in having this loving marital type relationship, this intimate relationship with every single person. Some years ago, many years ago, there was a man named William Carey. How many of you remember this name, know this name? William Carey. His nickname is the Father of Modern Missions. It's an interesting story actually how he ties into our church. I kid you not, into our local church. William Carey, if I can give you the snippet, He established the Baptist Missionary Society in 1792. In 1892, there was a German man, or let's say a man sent from Germany, that came to this country and established an extension of that Baptist Missionary Society. His name was Karl Jehu Gucha. And sitting right over there, hi brother, is his great, 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 great grandson. Direct connection. William Carey started it, and then Carl Yehu Gucha brought it to South Africa, started the very first Afrikaanse Baptiste Kerk. <laughs> and and this, uh, this vision that William Carey had funneled down to South Africa and literally is sitting in our church today. William Carey, one day, he was converted at a, a fairly young age, late teens, early 20s, right about in there, And one day after he got saved, he was walking through the English countryside. And God brought this passage to his mind. And specifically, the end of verse 5 caught his attention. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. He read that and he thought, you know what? God is not only the God of Englishmen. The God of the Bible is not a British God. He's the God of the whole earth. And the thought hit him, why are we not trying to reach the whole earth? It was from that moment that God began to deal with him about getting involved in the work of foreign missions. William Carey ended up moving to India in 1793 and he lived there for 41 years without taking a break. He never came home. 
41 years without a furlough, without a vacation, just nonstop laboring in the harvest. In 1834, he died in Serampore. You can go there today and see monuments and his gravestone. And to this day, his legacy lives on. He still has an effect on, on many facets of Indian life. After he saw this verse and thought about how God wants to reach the whole earth, Kerry began reading books. I don't know if you know the name David Brainerd. David Brainerd was an American uh, that God used him to go out to the Native Americans of that time in the Northeast. And for nine years, a very short nine years, he died at the age of 29. He, I think, worked himself to death. He worked tirelessly through tuberculosis, through all kinds of uh, sickness and, and health, health issues. He just kept pressing on. Kerry was reading that book. He was reading a book by a man named Captain Cook, which almost sounds like a fictional character, but Captain Cook was making voyages, going all over the world, and he was reading these books, hearing about all these foreign places, thinking, I wonder if they have the gospel. And then he started learning about the Moravians, which if you've never read about them, it's worth your time to read up on the Moravians, who organized a prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years, nonstop. The Moravians had such a desire to get the gospel out. Before anybody ever organized a missions movement, the Moravians did it. The idea of going to foreign countries, taking the gospel to the region beyond, was pretty much dropped by the church for centuries. But the Moravians, they said, we've got to get the gospel as far and as fast as we can. Some of them would even give up their freedom and put themselves into slave ships so that they could go to other countries in the Caribbean islands to preach to slaves, they themselves would take on that role just to reach those people. Carey would read these stories and he thought, I've got to do something about it. He went to his fellow churchmen. He began preaching in those churches. He's a young man, mind you, and he said, guys, let's go reach the world. This is the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. That is the Great Commission, is it not? How dare we say that it doesn't apply to us? Listen carefully, friend. Listen carefully. Go ye therefore. Teach all nations. Baptize them, right? Say, well, Jesus said that to the apostles. What did He tell the apostles to do? Teaching them, teaching the nations that you preach to, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What did Jesus just command them to do? Go into all the world and preach. He said, now you teach those people you're preaching to, you teach them to do this. Oh, the Great Commission certainly applies to us. William Carey recognized this. He preached it. Here's the reaction of his fellow churchmen in England. They said, you are a miserable enthusiast. You are a miserable enthusiast. If God wanted the heathen of the world to be saved, He would take care of it Himself. What an abhorrent thing to say. Because God has given us the privilege of being a laborer together with Him. To stand back and say, it's not my problem. It's God's problem. If God wants them saved, God can go do something about it. Listen, friend, God, He's not going to force you to get involved but he did say we need more laborers for the harvest. He, he has called us to be involved in reaching the harvest field that is the world. And that comes down even 
to you. Even to you say, is he, are you pointing at me? I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Should I take a shoe off, get my toes in? You see, God is willing and able to use the unusable. Because as soon as I say, let's reach the world, thought comes into your head, perhaps, okay, that's a great idea, but what do I have to offer? What do I have to offer? Why should I get so excited about the Great Commission when there's really not much I can do about it? Perhaps you as those English churchmen, Brother Mike, you're all excited about it, but you're making me miserable. (laughs) Pastor, you're a miserable enthusiast, and I say, Amen, I'll take that compliment. (laughs) It was the Apostle Paul that said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and I'm not going to apologize for being excited and zealous about getting the gospel to the regions beyond. Verse number one, if I can bring your attention to that. Sing, O barren. And this really begins our sermon now. God has commanded the nation here to sing. Why? One day they're going to break forth. Sing, O barren. But God is quick to remind them there was a time when you thought that you could not bring forth any fruit. There was a time that you thought, I am completely unusable, and there is a deadness in my womb. And that's the thought I want to I speak to today. When you read in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul actually quotes this, this verse, in Galatians chapter 4. And he links it back to Sarah. Interestingly enough, the three mothers, the, the matriarchs of Israel, if you will, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, they all struggled to fall pregnant. It's as if God was trying to say, okay, you might think you're unusable, but you'll be surprised what I can do with you. Take your Bible, if you would. Let's come back to their story. Just show you a few things. Genesis chapter 12. I believe these these will be a few simple thoughts. Genesis chapter 12. Let's begin reading in verse number 2. And the first thing I want to point out about Abraham and Sarah's story, which the Lord referred to in Isaiah 54... The first point is this, fruit is promised. Fruit is promised. To who? To somebody that's barren. To somebody that thinks there's no way I can make a difference. God is ready to use the unusable. Fruit is promised. How many of you remember this verse? I'm sure you do. With God all things are possible, right? You, you remember that? Do you know there's only two times in the Bible that that statement is used? It appears more, but there's two contexts in which it's used. Number one, to put the camel through the eye of a needle. You know what that passage is about? Getting rich people saved. Because man, they're a bit difficult to work with. And all the poor people in the room said, Amen. <laughs> God can put that Difficult to work with camel through the eye of a needle. Jesus specifically told his disciples, with men this is impossible, but not for for God. With God all things are possible. So getting people saved, that's right up God's alley. He can do that. And he can use you to do it. 
You know how rich people got saved in, in the early days of the church? Poor, uneducated apostles went and preached, preached to rich people, and they got saved. And the apostles thought, how could this ever happen? God used them to get it done. You know the other time that, that verse is used, with God all things are possible? Mary, you're going to have a baby. But I don't, I don't even, I'm not even married yet. I, listen, I'm clean, I'm upright, I'm chaste. I haven't, I have never known a man. I know. But with God all things are possible. Isn't it strange when it comes to bearing fruit, spiritual or physical, fruit gets promised. So before you say, uh, that's good for somebody else, but not for me, that thought is expressly meant for you. Fruit is promised. Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will make, this is God speaking to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. He said, I'll make of thee a great nation. Abram is 75 years old when he hears this. If you can keep reading, you'll see it. Verse number 3. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. A grace, I'll make of you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing. I mean, I'm going to use you. It's promised. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15 and verse 4. Abram's now been waiting a while. Still no child. Verse number 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. This is Abram has now complained and said, God, you haven't given me a child. I'm going to leave everything to my, the, the, the elder servant in my house. The response, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Fruit is promised. Even where it's not probable. Fruit is promised. Chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 16. God speaking to Abraham about his wife, Sarai. The word Sarai means my princess. Sarah means princess of many nations. Verse 16, I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. By this time, remember, Hagar's come into the picture. So that's why the word also is inserted here. I will bless her and will give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Do you see that fruit is promised? Fruit is promised. Abram thought, okay, fruit is promised, but maybe not with Sarah. No, no. God can use the unusable. Let, look at one more at chapter 18, verse 10. Verses 9 and 10, they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. Abram's answering this. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Sarah's kind of eavesdropping in, in the background. But she heard this promise. Listen, it's a promise that you're going to have fruit. You're going to bear fruit. So, well, Brother Mike, this is well and good. That's Sarah. That's Abraham. What about me? I'm going to give you your verse now. Ready for this? Just listen to it. John chapter 15, verse 5. Listen. Jesus said, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. Listen carefully now. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That's a promise. 
It is a conditional promise. It is conditioned on you abiding in Him. He didn't say if you get saved, automatically there's going to be fruit. You get saved and then abide in me. What's that? Proper fellowship. Which we're going to talk about just now. But I want you to know that the potential for God using you has been promised. You will bring forth fruit if you abide in Him. So the fruit has been promised, but it's going to require a couple of things. And I can point this out quickly to you. Come back to chapter 12, Genesis 12. A couple of things you need to take into account. So Brother Mike, okay, Jesus promised fruit. If I walk with Him, abide in Him, stay close to Him, I'm going to bring forth fruit. But I've been doing that. I've been coming to church and reading my Bible and praying. I've been trying to help folks. I've been trying to do what the Bible says. And I just, I don't see it. I don't see God using me. Point number one, when it comes to bearing fruit, it takes time. You can't rush this. It takes time. Look at this, chapter 12, verse 4. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Lot went with him. And Abram was how old? Seventy and five years old. He's 75. Well, some of you haven't... You're just getting started. We got time, man. You got lots of time. 75. Take your Bible to chapter 16. Chapter 16. Chapter 16 happens 10 years later. And by the 11th year, Ishmael's born. Look at, I just want you to see it. 1616. And Abram was four score. That's 80. A score is 20, and you multiply it by four. So four score and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. 86. So that's 75. 11 years went by. Do you see that? And then there's this awfully awkward silence between chapter 16 and 17. Look at chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 90 and 9. Do you see that? 90 years old and 9. For 13 years, there seems to be no communication after the Hagar moment. That's not our sermon today, but it's worth noting. 13 years. And then finally, God says, okay, Abraham, you're going to have a son. You know what Abraham did? He laughed. He said, <laughs> God, that's a good one. <laughs> okay, I, I, I mean, I had a son, right? I have a son. It's Ishmael. But now you're saying I'm going to have a son with, with, with Sarah, right? Chapter 17, verse, verse 12. We looked at that just a moment ago. He said, really? He laughed. And you know what God told him? He said, uh, when the son's born, name him Isaac. Now, now, that may not be funny in English, but in Hebrew, that's hilarious because the name Isaac means laughter. Abram, Abraham was laughing in his heart. And God knew what was going on. He knew, he knew Abraham. Abraham was struggling to believe that God's promise of fruit would come to pass. And Abraham was sitting there laughing in his heart going, okay, I hear what you're saying, but that can't happen with me. God says, oh yeah, it will. And, and when, when it happens, I want you to name it after what's going on here so you never forget what happened. The Bible tells us that it's going to take some time. By the, by the age of 100, Isaac is born. 25 years. To have one son through the promise of God, right? Through Sarah, the way it should have been done, 25 years. Are you willing to wait? Will you? Now, time is one thing, but here's the second thing. Because a lot of times, right, we rush it. 
I got to see fruit. I got to see something happen. Take your time. You need this other requirement. Time is required. Number two, faith and obedience. Because let's be honest, you need both. What good is faith without obedience? Faith and obedience. When God told, and this is why God chose Abraham. He said, I know him that he will command his children after him to keep the ways of the Lord. God specifically chose Abraham because he knew he would be faithful and obedient. God told Abram, leave your country. He did, eventually. He left. He left it all behind. Isaac is born. Go sacrifice Isaac. Now, now Abraham knew that the promise to bless the whole world is coming through Isaac. The everlasting covenant comes through Isaac. So now God says, go kill Isaac. You know what Abraham thought? Okay, if, if God told me to sacrifice him, I will. But since God promised to use Isaac to bless the world, that means God's going to raise him from the dead. And he carried on. Because what do we sing? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. The fruit that he'd been waiting 25 years for, now he's been walking with Isaac for, who knows, 13, 14, 15 years? Go sacrifice him. Taking my fruit away? Trust me. Trust me, God tells him. Just march up the mount. Apply your faith. And then wait. And see what God will do with it. Jesus, what was His promise? Not just get saved, but abide in Him. Stay in fellowship with the Lord. And He will, in His time, give the increase. You just keep planting. You keep watering. You stay involved. Do what you can. And before you know it, you'll be standing back singing, breaking forth into singing, the reproach and the shame of your barrenness wiped away. And you'll be standing back laughing, saying, who would have thought? that God could use the unusable. They were laughing, weren't they? Both Abraham and Sarah, when they first heard it, they laughed, both of them, independently. They laughed within themselves. I I hope today that we can erase the laughing from your heart. Because as soon as Abraham and Sarah stopped laughing and took seriously what God was saying, said, oh, God, you're not kidding. You actually mean that you're going to do this? Okay. Well, then what do we do? And then they dug in, not considering the deadness of her womb, not considering the fact that he was past years, but they got, they, they, they applied their faith. Perhaps you wonder how you could possibly make a difference as it pertains to worldwide missions. Some of you are not called to preach. Some of you cannot give a lot. Perhaps you can't speak multiple languages. Americans. Perhaps you can't visit foreign lands. You're just not built for that. Some people aren't. But everyone can abide in Christ. Everyone can walk with the Lord. That's your job. You don't get to pick and choose which fruit you bring forth. All we do is fellowship with the Lord and let Him decide what kind of fruit and how much and when and where. We just stay faithful in our obedience to Him. What amazing faith it would take to say, God, I have no clue how you could possibly use somebody like me in this condition. But you said it. I believe it. Therefore, I'll give you my best. I'll lay down my all on the altar. And I'll let you decide how to use me. What amazing faith that would be.
to take Jesus at his promise. Can I show you something else about this? Come back to chapter 12. Fruit is promised. Secondly, secondly, failures are not prohibitive. Failures are not prohibitive. Here's what I mean by that. Just because you make some mistakes along the way, that does not mean that God cannot use you to bring forth some fruit. That doesn't mean that God cannot use you to be a blessing to somebody else, somewhere else in the world. Failures are not prohibitive. Watch what happened in the life of Abram here. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country. Did he do that? Help me out, folks. Did he do that? Did he get out of his country? Yeah, he did. That's a big step, by the way. Big step. And from thy kindred, leave your relatives. Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. And from thy father's house, did he get away from his dad? No, he didn't. Unto a land that I will show thee. He, he, he did this, but little by little, he did it in parts. It wasn't complete and full obedience from the get-go. found for a lot of folks, we get saved and we start reading our Bibles and we realize that our life doesn't match the Bible very much. Have you seen that? Has that been your experience? After I got saved, I thought I, thought I was a decent guy <laughs> until I started reading the Bible. And then I realized there's not much decent about me. But... but it's very rare to see somebody go from lost, saved, and I have it all figured out, and every part of my life just works correctly. It, it generally happens slowly that we, we start one thing at a time. God deals with us and deals with us and says, leave that behind, leave that behind, change that. And, I'll, and, and eventually, right, eventually we get where we need to be. That's what happened in Abram's life. He took Lot, that was his kindred. He took his dad, that slowed him down, but that didn't stop God from using him. On he went. Come to chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 1. So in chapter 15, God has promised Abraham, you're going to have as many children as the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed that. That was great faith. But in chapter 16, in verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. So, so do you see the human wisdom starting to kick in here? Okay, so God promised you a lot of children, but I can't have children, so I think what God's trying to get at here is God's going to use you, but I'm not part of the plan. You see the human element of this? Okay, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, going unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Did Abram pray about it? Doesn't say that he did. Best I can tell, he said, Sarai, makes sense to me. You know, let's be careful about what makes sense to us is not always what God said. Sometimes it can make sense and it's not what God said. There are a lot of times we make decisions with good intentions. We're not trying to rebel against the Lord or do anything wrong. But the will of God is something else. And rather than sticking with that and being patient for that and just faithfully obeying, we try to rush the thing. And we, we force it using human intellect, human strength, and I'll make a plan. And on we go. And God has a different plan. 
folks, let's be careful here. I, 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 I don't want to stand in, in, uh, and be too critical of Abraham. He's a friend of God. He's a man of faith. But he was human. He was a man, just like any other man. And he had himself a Hagar moment. We've all had Hagar moments. Where in, in the moment, right, listen, in the moment, in that week, in that season of life, it made sense. Haven't you had this, folks, please, those of you with a few extra kilometers on your odometer, help me here. Isn't it true that you can look back now in life and go, yo, I meant well, I thought that was a good idea, but now looking back, benefit of hindsight, I would not do that again. I think Abraham, years later, would look back and go, you know, Hagar, bad idea. Don't you think so? He probably regretted that. But it didn't stop God from using him. William Carey, whom I mentioned earlier, he married a young lady, much younger than he was. His wife's name was Dorothy. They called her Dolly. She was younger. She was very, uh, I say very uneducated. She couldn't even sign her name on the marriage certificate. She just put an X. And that's not really the problem, but she was not really willing to do anything spiritually. There was no indication that she ever got saved. She was unwilling to go to the mission field. Uh, William Carey had to not manipulate, but it was difficult to get her to go. And it really slowed down the ministry, and eventually Dolly lost her mind. The pressures of being in India, and she was giving birth and losing children and to various diseases, it was just too much for her. And it greatly hindered his relationship with his family and the work of the ministry. Now, it's easy on this side of history to look back and say, you married the wrong person. I don't know. It's not really my place to judge that. Whether he did or didn't, that's between him and the Lord. I'm just saying that as he moved on, he did get remarried and things went a lot better. He probably looked back at that and thought, you know, if I had to go back and do it again, I probably wouldn't marry her. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. God can still use you to bring forth fruit. You know what Jesus said? He can purge you. He can purge you so that you can bring forth fruit. That's in John chapter 15 as well. If a, if a branch brings forth fruit, then He purges it so it can bring forth more fruit. If some things have come out that are not so great, He can purge that. You can make that right and that is not an excuse to stop trying. I think sometimes we look at our failures and we use them as an excuse to not put any extra effort or action into what we think God can do with us. Well, how could the Lord use me seeing what I've done? I think of the Apostle Paul. There's a great verse. This is a faithful saying, he says, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was still making some mistakes even after he got saved. You know what the next verse says? Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. You know what Paul's pattern in, is? doesn't matter how bad it was in the past, or even mistakes that you've currently made, God can still work through you to bring forth fruit, even for the whole earth. Which brings me to my third point. Chapter 21, Genesis chapter 21. 
Genesis chapter 21. In verse number 6. Genesis 21 and verse 6. At this point, Isaac has been born. You can see that in the verses preceding. But in verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. Now laugh not as in like a mocking way, but out of joy. Have you ever, have you ever had that happen where something great happens and your response is, <laughs> why is this happening to me? Right? Verse 7, and she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Fruit is promised. You need to believe that. And then apply that promise. Live as if it is true. Because it is true. See, I don't see how it can. You don't have to see it. God has to see it. Say, but you don't know what I've done. Yes, God does. And He still promised fruit. If you'll just abide with him, make it right, get back in his will, he can use you. And thirdly, fruit is promised, failure is not prohibitive, the future is filled with praise. Look at this. They have not a feast. What does it say in verse 8? They had a great feast. This isn't just one or two boars on the braai. This is choppies and olives. This is... This is the big thing. eh? Eventually, I said eventually, it was time for a great feast. Your future is filled with praise. If you were to just surrender and say, God, I have no clue how you could use whatever I can offer in in in, in an effort to reach the world. How could you use me? Well, I don't know, but here I am. Whatever I got, it's yours. I want you to see what's waiting for you. A future filled with praise. There's a great feast waiting on you. Listen, they had a feast, a great feast for one son. Just for one son. A great feast. Sarah, Abraham, they never saw the complete fulfillment of having children as the stars of the sky or as the sands of the sea. Did they in their lifetime see Everything that God would do with their little effort? No. What they saw was one son. That's what they saw. They didn't see the fullness of it. One day they will. One day there's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be a resurrection. And one day the Bible says, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we gather in the kingdom of God. Don't you know that Sarah comes up in this resurrection? You talk about a feast. Because we're going to sit down at the table. Jesus will serve And uh, we read it today in Isaiah 54. Sing, O barren. Break forth into singing, you desolate. Why? The shame of what you did in the past. Failures are not prohibitive. That shame is wiped away. Look at what God's done, Sarah. I know you didn't see the fullness of it. You saw one boy. But look now, the whole earth is gathering around the throne of David. There's seated Jesus, the, uh, the Christ. And everybody is, uh, they know the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. Look, Sarah, look at how God used you. 
Oh my goodness, our future is filled with praise. God, thank you. Praise your holy name. I, I had this, just a small opportunity, but God, I had no idea who, verse 7, who would have said that you would use somebody like me? Who would have thunk it? That's deep English. Who would have thunk it? Who would have said that the story would turn out like that? And this is just for one son they had a feast. Don't you remember in Luke chapter 15? One sheep goes astray. Shepherd comes home, finds the sheep. What does he do? Rejoice with me, I found one sheep. Lose a coin, sweep the house, find the coin. Rejoice with me, I found my coin. How many coins? One coin. Prodigal son, off to the far country. Comes to himself, climbs out of the pig pen, runs home. What does the father say? He said to his servants, bring forth, not a robe, the best robe, and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Listen to this part. And bring hither the the fatted calf. Oh, Comons Bri. Do you see South Africa in the Bible? There it is. There it is. Comons Bri. Notice he said, bring hither the fatted calf. Not a fatted calf. The fatted calf. Oh, pay attention to every word of your Bible. He didn't say, go out to the, to the barn there and just get, get any calf that you see. Just, just pick whatever fat one. No, no, no. The father had a special calf that he was fattening, waiting for his son to come home. And those servants, when he said, you go get the fatted calf, they knew the father has been waiting for this boy to come home. There's a special calf waiting. There is great rejoicing. Just waiting at the end of this journey. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Our future is filled with praise. The Bible tells us that in heaven there's joy over one sinner that repents then tell me, friend, what kind of joy do you think we're going to experience when all of us are gathered around the throne, not tens of thousands, but tens of millions of people, singing the new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. When we're gathered around that throne, listen, the emphasis is on missions. Out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. He says, look at, look at this. Look at this. Look at people from all over the world. The God of the whole earth shall He be called. That's our future. That's our future. And if, if you are willing to just abide in Christ, He will use you to make a difference towards that end. Your future filled with praise. Why? Yesterday, what a day we had. I prayed and I prayed, God, please let us see something happen. We went out to, on the streets. We gave gospel tracts out. I got to lead two young men to Christ two, at two different times. Both of them knelt down on the sidewalk, gave their hearts to Christ. What a rejoicing. I'm on cloud nine. I'm floating around in here. This is wonderful. And then uh, Vicky comes uh, just a couple hours later after the ladies' meeting. Some of the ladies went out on the street, and Vicky comes in with this smile, from, not from ear to ear. It somehow went beyond her ears. 
she was a walking smile. She was glowing. And I, sister, how are you? She said, oh, oh, it's so great. So excited, just glowing. Sorry to tell your story for you. But it was so, oh, she was so happy. And I said, what happened? She said, we had three saved today. And I said, well, praise the Lord. I had two saved. She said, I beat you. (laughs) She's kidding. But you know, the thought hit me. If all of heaven rejoices over one, five? That's a good day. That's a good day. That's a good day. Garrett and I had the privilege of being in Malawi just not too long ago. And when I was there years and years ago, when I lived there, worked there as a missionary, the, there was a young man named Leedson Kafunya. And he actually lived on our property and trained him in Bible school. And by the time I was going to leave, we, we had parted ways, not, not angry or anything, but he just went off to do other things. And he actually uh, became a pastor in a different church that was already established in a different city. So we didn't keep in touch much. And we really haven't talked a lot for the last 10 years or so until this last visit. We sat down and had lunch together. He said, Pastor Mike, I'd like to catch you up on what God's doing. He says, I didn't spend long in that other church. I realized that you know, I, I, I didn't agree with everything they were teaching and doing. So I've just been working with what you taught me in Bible school and what the Lord gave me in in the time together that we had together. He said, in this year, this church started. In that year, this church started. He's now on church number five. He texted me last night. He said, this past week, we had 50 people saved. Your future is filled with praise. All you can do is just throw your hands to heaven and say, God, thank you so much. What an honor, what a privilege, Lord, if I can only just plant one seed, if I can just give one rand towards this endeavor, whatever, pray one prayer, whatever I can do, that's worth doing. Abraham and Sarah died without seeing the fullness of how special this was. We don't have to see it in our lifetimes. All we need to do is abide in Christ. He'll take care of the rest. We know how the story ends. All glory, honor, blessing, praise, riches, strength, might be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne forever and ever. And the proper response to that is Amen and Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to give you a few moments to search your heart. And lest you walk out today, the pianist will come and play something quietly and will not take long. Perhaps the thought has crossed your mind. I am unusable. And maybe you think you're unusable because you don't see how God could use what you have to offer. Or maybe you feel disqualified because you've made some mistakes. Maybe you have too many Hagars in your past. Maybe you think the story is too good to be true. That great feast, why would God ever why would God ever let me be a part of that? He uses the unusable. You know what the command is? Sing, O Baron. Sing. Go ahead and start. You can start praising Him now. Lord, I don't know how you'll do it. 
But I believe you will because you said so. Abraham, Sarah, they had to do their part. But they were motivated to do their part because God gave them a promise. Now, Jesus gave you a promise, friend. You. I'm talking to you. Yay. Ni yalani. Yay. Individual. You can bring forth fruit. Don't let unbelief sneak into your heart there. He'll use you. You just got to let him. You got to do it his way. You can't do it the Hagar way. Did you hear that? You can't do it the Hagar way. Well, I'll serve the Lord, you know, my way. When I feel like it. I think this would be appropriate. No, no. Trust and obey. Don't do it Hagar way. Father, show us, Lord. Speak to our hearts in what way you'd like to use us. What we need to do. Lord, you don't have to tell us the whole plan. Just tell us today, Lord, what is it that you'd like for us to do? Lord, even if the rest of our life we just sow, plant, water, we will leave the increase up to you. But thank you for the privilege of being laborers together. Father, show us this week, the week to come, The week after that, show us, Lord, how we can make a difference in the whole earth. You are truly the God of the whole earth. We want people to know that. Show us how to be involved. Lord, bless the baptism service to come. Father, bring us back safely this evening to learn more from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, if you can, stick around. We'd appreciate it. We'll get ready for the baptism. You're welcome to stand in the sunlight.